You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with hosts Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 350 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined today by Seth Miller. Hey, Seth. I'm going to call you the Colonel uh, this episode. I apologize. Why? Why? <laughs> We'll get into that during the bonus topics. Okay. All right. People have to stick around. To, yeah, to stick around for that one. Is yeah. it an extra wide episode? Are we going to have more spacious seating on board? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I wish. Uh, I don't know. I'm actually sitting in my desk chair for the first time in a while. It's pretty nice. Pretty comfy. Yeah. I mean, you guys, you guys got, you guys got Ida, right? Like, uh, we got, we had a couple inches of rain. Nothing like what happened in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, New York. That whole. Uh, it's just wild, Disaster. wild, yeah. wild video coming out of all, yeah. all of those places. Yeah. I, you know, New York wins a lot of the time because whatever. But, you know, and the subway videos were interesting. Um, part of me is like always wants to be like, yes, I understand. Like no one wants to see the subway flooding like that and like look like a waterfall. But it is giant cut open holes in the middle of the street. So it's sort of where the water is supposed to go. It's just supposed to drain off very quickly. Um, exactly. But the like flooded out highways in downtown Philadelphia. Or it's actually, nuts. like, what really is just jarring to me. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I think, you know, the thing about the subway is I, I think the videos that are funny is, like, when people go down into the subway, but it's so flooded that like, you can't get down the stairs. Yeah. And you, you, you see videos of people, like, start walking down, and then they just kind of nope right out of it. They just, yeah. Like, turn right. You're just, they're just like, oh, no. I'm, I'm uh, it's like, I can either get soaked or I can <laughs> get in that. So <laughs> And I don't know what's in that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd, I'd rather just be out in the rain that I can at least sort of understand what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh man! Um, so tell me about Tunnels to Towers uh, because we we uh, we have a, a, a mutual friend of the show yep. uh, that's involved in this, and uh, we're we're both going to Dorkfest in L.A. and and this gentleman's based in Southern California. I don't think he's in L.A. Right? He's in San Diego, I think. Uh, he's like not between quite. The two. But he's yeah. between the two. He's like he's out east in the near one of the Air Force bases. Gotcha. Um, um, so tell tell we me. We call him character. Phil. We could actually name. Yeah, him. his name's name. Phil. Yeah, his name's Phil. <laughs> You can follow um, him on Twitter if you want. Yeah, you should. He's a good guy. Uh, was one of the founders of NYC Aviation back in the day and was a dispatcher at National Airlines when it was doing a bunch of military charters. Um, worked at JetBlue as a dispatcher as well. Uh, now is a, he actually worked at uh, JSX, if I remember correctly. Uh, okay. And then uh, when they were out in Southern California, they moved their headquarters and he didn't want to move finally again. And so he now works for NBAA. Uh an outreach investor for business jets but uh the actual the reason we're talking about it is he is uh upcoming 20th anniversary of 9-11 will be hiking one of the local mountains uh hills i guess it's only it's 2977 feet which I, okay. if i remember correctly right is the same height as uh the towers were and the hill is marked with like to reflect this, that, the elevation of the towers as well and so he's doing that hike uh as a fundraiser for the charity it's uh, a group that works with um uh, the, the, the people who affected by uh, the 9-11, the disaster and whatnot. So it's a uh, good charity, good person. Uh, we have donated on behalf of DLD uh, to support him. I uh, would encourage others to consider doing so as well. Uh, maybe the 2977 is how much money he's trying to raise. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of numbers involved. I, it's yeah. confusing. Um, but he is hiking it, uh, wearing a weight vest and carrying a fire hose, which is sort of in honor of the firefighters who uh, did similarly, similarly were weighed down as they tried to go in to help people. Uh, yeah, twenty years ago. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to think it's been twenty years. Uh, time yeah. has by faster than I, I thought. You know, <laughs> yeah. Which, especially considering how both slow and fast the last eighteen months have been, or twenty yeah, months yeah. now, it's even harder to imagine. But 
Um, and so people people can donate and they can go read about this and they can also likely meet Phil when uh, yeah come out to Dorkfest in Spot LAX. I think he's going to be there. Um, yeah, I think I, I hope he is. <laughs> he yeah. hasn't said no to me when I've asked him. So I think uh, I think we're going to buy him a beer or at least try to buy him a beer. So. We'll try. Open Maybe it might, and whatnot. It might have to be a hamburger. Yeah. Knows. <laughs> so um, cool. Tell me about uh, slot squatting in New York City. Who's, who's, who's squatting? Everybody? Yes. Yes, they are. Uh, <laughs> mostly American and United right now is the ones that have come up. So right, the the challenge here is that JFK and LaGuardia are among the very few airports in North America where you have use it or lose it rules. Uh, yep. If you don't use the slots, you don't, you don't get to keep them. They are considered highly prized and getting them allocated. There, there basically are no new ones to allocate. So in many uh, cases. So getting access to the slots is challenging, uh, especially LaGuardia and DCA National. Uh, but uh, JFK, depending on who you listen to, also is uh, challenged in that front. And one of the issues related to COVID has been that there isn't enough demand to justify you know continuing to fly yeah. <laughs> all the flights. And so schedules were cut and whatnot. Thus far, we've gone through summer 2020, winter 20 slash 21, and now summer 21, where regulators have at some level offered relief from the use it or lose it rule, which is generally if you don't use uh, the slot 80% of the time, you can lose it. It will be revoked. And the U.S. government has not announced a similar relief for the upcoming winter season, which starts on Halloween. That's Saturday, Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, That's just the 30th and 31st of October this year. So it's always sort of the end of that month. And basically, if that if the U.S. government does not allow for some sort of leniency on that front, the airlines have to fill these slots. And I use have to, you know, put that in scare quotes if you want, or they have to give them up or risk yeah. giving them up. And there are many other U.S. airlines that would love to try to grab them. And so in an effort to make sure that they can keep the slots while also minimizing loss of money uh, and minimizing risk and expense and all those other things, they do... They make stupid choices. Like, I know, we'll just fly between Dulles and LaGuardia nine times a day on a, you know, 50 or 70 seater. Yeah. Uh, or I think that was the United. I think American has Philadelphia and BWI from JFK. Really? At, like similar levels. I think it's seven a day. Huh. It's it's a unfortunate number for, of flights that are going to basically just burn jet fuel for no good reason and burn money for no good reason um, and not really serve much in the way of passenger value. So on the one hand, I understand where the airlines are coming from in terms of wanting to keep their slots and saying that the rule is stupid or should be waived for them. On the other hand, could, and someone, you know, one of our listeners raised this as a comment on Twitter to us, like, couldn't like American, I don't know, work with JetBlue and pick some routes with their Northeast Alliance that might actually be useful and try <laughs> to start a couple of new routes. Um, and maybe not for all the slots, but like do some creative things and see if they can make real money instead of just burning less with these routes that no one is going to fly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I guess, on the other hand, if it still is an 80-20 rule, like, they can just rotate which one they cancel every day on um, the ones that are, they know no one's flying and, you know, reduce their costs a little bit extra there. But it's still kind of ridiculous the way that they're approaching the schedule. And, you know, we could probably derail this into a conversation about slots in general and, like, do airlines basically deserve free, um, and it wasn't always free, but free access to these limited resources with essentially no rules other than just keep using them. That's, that's always the part that comes 
you know, and there's, I understand why an airline argues that they need that, right? If they have to like rebuy the slots or lease them out every year or something like that, or it becomes a bidding war, becomes challenging to build a hub in an airport that is slot restricted. But also like it is a public resource that was basically given for free to one company yeah. and the other companies can't use it. So I, I go back and forth on that one a lot. What, what, um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about airports. So is this particularly for American JFK or is there another airport that's also they're they're struggling to keep their slots? So the, there's only, it's weird in the U S there's, if I remember this correctly and I'll probably get some of it wrong, uh, JFK and LaGuardia, I know JFK is, uh, I think it's just JFK is considered an IATA level three airport, which is truly slot restricted, um, where all the slots have to be accounted for in that manner. LaGuardia and DCA, and I can't remember which way LaGuardia goes. LaGuardia may also be, or it's it's close. DCA is slot restricted in that uh, the government, there's a federal law that says only this many planes can take off and land here every day. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're allocated. So those are also allocated, interestingly. um, Right. There's also the, Radius rules, um, route, uh, what's it called? Perimeter rules. Perimeter rules at both LaGuardia and uh, National that limit how far planes can fly in many cases. Uh, San Francisco, LA, and O'Hare and Newark are what's called slot coordinated instead of slot uh, restricted or slot controlled. And the coordinated basically means that everybody has to tell the DOT what they're going to do. And the DOT sort of says, okay, we're keeping an eye on you. Um, mm. and publishes guidelines of sort of how many operations are allowed at any given time and expects everybody to cooperate with that. And this actually became an issue, um, and we've talked about this a little bit on the show before, with Spirit mm-hmm. and I think JetBlue and a couple others trying to get, and maybe Southwest wanted some Newark slots and wanted United to give some up. And what's interesting about that is, you know, United comes back and says, it's not slot restricted, you can do whatever you want here. But yeah. the DOT has said, and it, it, Newark was slot restricted for a while and went and like downgraded to slot con- uh, coordinated, I want to say 2015 or so. And when it, that happened, the DOT said, we're going to downgrade this and let you all like behave, you know, everybody play nice and everything will be fine. Right. Mm-hmm. But also if you start to cause trouble again, we reserve the right to reimpose restrictions. And if we do that, it's going to be based on historical usage or historical assignments. So, no one that like the new the new entrant airlines that want to grow there don't want to grow too much because if they do and things yeah, switch back, back yep. they lo- like they'd have to cut all their flights and the legacy United wouldn't. Yep. Um, they also complain that United United s- squats on its slots there and either uses them similar to these routes for short things that no one ever really flies or cancels a lot of flights and uses uh, its slot portfolio as padding for the schedule. So um, does. I mean, is is Newark what United is squatting on in this instance, or is it JFK? It's uh, LaGuardia slots with United. Oh, it's LaGuardia. Okay, LaGuardia to Dulles. Interesting. Yeah. So um, the new. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure there's something at Newark also, but LaGuardia to Dulles, like, used to fly a couple times a day, and now is obscene number of frequencies. And I'm so, sure part of that is also like Houston demand is down and Chicago demand is down, so they're not flying those hourly like they necessarily did before. So they got to do something with the slots, and this is the cheapest way to keep them. Yeah. Okay. So I have kind of a random tangent on this. How does this work with, um, you know, the perimeter rule at LaGuardia says, I think it's 1500 miles or something. 1600 miles is the max. So I think the furthest flight to LaGuardia is Denver. So it's 1500 or Denver. Denver's actually too far. Uh, Dallas, I think is the furthest you can get. So what does it take a little further, but yeah. Like how do you, how do you get these restrictions lifted or you're kind of, you know, removed from these restrictions? Like, how do you do that? Like, is there a way, like a, a, a waiver? For the perimeter rule? Yeah. Saturdays. 
There's no criminal <laughs> rule on Saturdays. Um, I, I'm amazed then that, that United doesn't fly something like San Francisco LaGuardia on Saturdays. On Saturday. Yeah. So spirit had an LA flight. Yeah. yeah they I launched guess it Saturday well. only. I, I don't even know if it actually launched. They announced it. Um, so it was supposed to happen. I don't know uh, what the situation there is, but it's mostly because Saturdays are low demand. And why would you, you know, try to run a premium business route that can't do yeah. that? Um, Aruba continental way back in the day, did Aruba mm-hmm. on Saturdays because it also had pre-clearance. So you could do an international, <laughs> you could do international service in and out without needing to staff CBP there. Um, so that was a popular, or I don't know about popular, but that one happened. Uh, ski resorts in the winter. Yeah. yeah. Out West will get them. Uh, so DFW and Houston are inside the rule. Austin is just outside 1500 miles. Oh, wow. To uh, LaGuardia. So Austin, it's like 15, 1520. So you can't fly all the way. They can't get a nonstop to Austin. I'm sure, I'm sure America would actually love to offer that. I'm sure a lot of airlines would. Like that's a, that's, that seems like one that, that would make yeah. some money. I mean, United used to, I mean, back when I flew it for work, United made plenty of money off of me offering Newark Austin nonstop three or four times a day. So yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And the perimeter is different in DC. The perimeter rule at DC is 1250 miles, yep. but there's also by legislation, a certain number of uh, perimeter exemption slots. And those are allowed to fly longer distances. So you can fly a transcon to Portland or Seattle or LA or Phoenix. Uh, there's a few other routes that get those flights that you wanted to do this weekend. Um, yeah. And we'll talk about those in the bonus episode, but, and, and flights I will take tomorrow. Okay. So, yeah. We'll talk, we'll talk about unless it. you get bumped again. Uh, maybe we'll see. Uh, JetBlue's cutting some London flights in October. Yeah. When they launched the service, they, they announced that they were going to cut uh, down to four X weekly. Okay. Uh, in September, because the rules, like the border isn't open yet, and they were hoping that that would change and that they'd be able to start increasing, you know, demand. Yep. <laughs> with uh, if the U.S. would start to let Europeans enter without quarantine restrictions, or let non-citizens enter from Europe without quarantine restrictions, I guess is the real yep. quirk there. But whatever. Um, it's easier just to say Europeans are banned and not get into the reality of the rule. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's one of those things that's got a lot of nuance to it. But at the end of the day, how it actually applies is. Effectively, Europeans can't come in. Um, so uh, that didn't happen. And so they just uploaded their ske- updated their schedules in the last week or so and have extended those similar cuts to uh, through October. What's different is that the Gatwick service launches at the end of September. So mm-hmm. now they're going to have four flights a week from to and from uh, Heathrow and four flights a week to and from Gatwick. And this goes back to the slots issue where if the slots are allocated and you're running them, you have to fly. Currently, the exemption is 50%, not 80%. So four days a week is sufficient. So they'll do doubles on Monday. They do both, uh, departing JFK. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday is Gatwick. And Wednesday, Friday, Sunday is Heathrow, I think. (laughs) Um, So now they have daily service to London. Uh, as of the end of the month it's interesting they also uh speaking of sort of weird partnership with american and the northeast alliance uh they also now carry the our americans flights to heathrow now carry a JetBlue flight number on them americans flights to heathrow carry jet flight numbers so JetBlue code shares on those flights so JetBlue can actually sell flights to heathrow every day because american still has double daily published but and then on days where when JetBlue also operates there's more does anyone else operate uh, gatwick no. From, from JFK? I didn't think so. No, Norwegian did up to three times daily back in the day. Uh, presumably Norse, uh, when it takes flight next year, will choose to do so as well. 
somewhat bizarre side note, there was a Norse Atlantic flight attendant on the inaugural JetBlue flight to Heathrow. It was just like, and it was the day they announced to, to their staff that they weren't going to fly till next year. Uh, but he was just happened to be there for fun anyways and had bought a ticket. So, Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. It's nice to have uh, geeks work in the, work in the cabin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk a little I mean, bit about Eastern. Can we, can we talk just a little bit more about JetBlue for a sec there? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Do you see a way, do you see any man, way in which this route actually works for them financially? Like, like Heathrow or London? London. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm an optimist. I, I okay. hope it, I hope it works. Um, I think I think business travel is going to have to come back soon. If, yeah. If, if they're going to keep it, I, yeah. I, I don't know that there's enough leisure traffic right now or in the near future. Um, when you have people like BA and AA offering flights pretty much every hour during. Yeah, I mean they they obviously those numbers are scaled back now, but like I, I don't know. I just we talked about it a couple weeks ago when I did the the trip and like not having a lounge. Does that really matter? I don't know. But like Concord room is open again. Now clubhouse is open again. Now Polaris lounges are not yet, but they probably will be right. Like that's a hard thing to solve. It's it's such a small plane and I could get it. If you can half the plane is business class stuff. They can get that those mint seats filled. It'll work, but yeah, there's just so I, much capacity they're competing against. It's hard for me to see how that. I think that's, longer. I think that's the problem, right? Cause like when Newark, when Newark London is running normally, it's what it's going to be seven eight tens and seven six threes high density. Yeah, which is a lot of business class seats. A lot of business class seats, and that I mean, for and there's a reason United is not doing that right now, right? Like that's they're sw- I thought they're switching back to the high J's, but not the yeah. That's you're right. Like I think in the winter, switched. yeah. Um, but I mean, still, I don't think I don't think they're running their normal four flights to Heathrow. Um, six. It was six at one point, right? I yeah, mean, like I, I, I mean, there's a there's a morning flight, and then I think four or five in the evening. So yeah, but yeah, like I. I it's just all those things. It's hard for me to see how a couple, you know, twice daily split across airports or even three times daily can compete again in the business traveler market against airlines running, you know, four to six daily and with partners potentially even more than that. And then also when you're when your goal is to pick up all the business travelers and then you can't compete in the aggressively in the economy side, economy class side, when you've got someone throwing an all economy 787 at it or mostly economy 787 at it, which is going to happen again soon. And I mean, who knows how much money Norse is willing to lose on that route or maybe try to make obviously, but like, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to see good upside for them on this. I don't know. But I mean, that's like the other challenge too, right? Is that they're focused solely, I mean, or it feels like they're focused solely on East coast to, London, right? Like it's they can't even really feed the route from some of their west coast or further west destinations. Yeah, there's, there's a couple routes, but this, so it depends on the timing and whatnot. Part of that was yeah. what slots could they get? Yeah. Um, with the earlier westbound flight now out of Heathrow, it does actually offer connections onward. Um, I was actually I'm going to London again in December for a conference, um, and was looking for ways to get from there to Las Vegas to go to a, yet another conference the following week, and was like maybe I'll just fly out and you know spend the weekend instead of coming home first. And JetBlue will now sell me the connection onward to Vegas because I think maybe it was only the Gatwick flight, but it had, you know, the right times to do that. I'm probably not going to take that, but um, just because I'd rather one long, one short or a nonstop. But it's, and it it was an interesting uh, sort of, you know, they they are starting to sell some of those connections. I don't know. I, I too, I want to be optimistic. I want it to work out. You know, they, I think they teased Manchester and Glasgow as other routes potentially mm-hmm. next summer, which like, okay, those don't scream business to me. Like I yeah. could see if you were going to do it, I would see Dublin 
right? Like if you're if you're going to focus on business routes, I, yeah. I would say I would say Dublin over or Edinburgh. At least then you got some colleges to yeah. You know, you're sending people aren't businesses, but well, yeah. they are. Actually, they are. It depends on what it is, but but I mean, yeah. I think I think like Dublin's got. I mean, it's a huge tech city, um, and if you fed it right, maybe it maybe it would make sense. I don't know. I don't know what that. That's the thing. I don't really know who flies JetBlue. Like, I don't. Is it is it the southwest or the northeast? Is that kind of the way it's viewed? I, I don't know. I, I have taken them once. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I think that is. It's a lot of VFR traffic visiting friends and relatives. Yeah. Um, most of that's into the Caribbean and Latin America, but there's a decent amount of it in the rest of the network as well. Right? If you look at sort of where their market, where their sort of capacity splits, it's the VFR into that part, into the into the Caribbean and Latin America, and north south shuttles between uh, Florida and you know New York to New England. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, and, and they're picking up competition in those though. I mean, Frontier's attacking heavily into the Caribbean. Avello's launching New Haven to Florida. Like it's, you know, it's not 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 that any company ever has the op- a good opportunity to just sit still and you know roll with you know roll through cash flow, um, or at least in the airline world. Uh, but I feel like they're getting squeezed a little bit here. It's going to be interesting to see what the next few years bring. Yeah, I, and I think I think really the thing to watch is what is going to happen with you know, business traffic in general across the ocean. Yeah. Um, and if, you know, if things continue with, with Europe shutting down non-essential U S travel, I don't, I don't see things going well for JetBlue long-term on those slots. So yeah, we'll that, that's going to be really hard to figure out. I mean, the good news is they said, Oh, we're going to take some of the seats out and make them look, you know, a little less business heavy, a little more economy friendly and, you know, try to sell more seats that way. But yeah. So, I mean, I think they have some, they have a plan, which is good. I think a yeah. lot of businesses don't really have a plan right now. They at least have a, a fallback. So. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd rather op ups for all of my fares instead. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? Um, so now tell me about Eastern's cargo insanity. So imagine you want to run a cargo airline, but you don't actually want to have cargo planes. <laughs> there, they, this announcement came out last week, and like they said, they've got feed stock for thirty-five triple sevens. They're going to look at triple seven two hundred, two hundred ER, and three hundred, but not the three hundred ER nor the two hundred LR. And the three hundred ER um, Israeli Aerospace Industries and the leasing company GCAS. Uh, mm-hmm already have a program in place that they're making conversions of. The first one is in Tel Aviv getting worked on now, if I remember correctly. And the 200 LR is the base model for what Boeing uses for its freighter model. Um, so those, and Delta had a, its old LRs. Those went, I think there's one in Washington state that's being converted now. Okay. actually did a few test flights uh, in recent months. So um, those are like real cargo freighters where they're cutting a giant hole and putting a full door in upstairs and reinforcing the main deck so they can put rollers and you know pallets and things like that on board. That's expensive and heavy and complicated and takes a long time to do. Yep. Or you could do what Eastern is doing, which is basically take the planes, put a barricade up between the uh, entry doorway or just I think probably just aft of the main entry door. So the pilots have a little bit of room to sit and, you know, do their thing where the front galley is. And then everything after that becomes a isolated and secured cargo facility with the necessary like smoke detector stuff and whatnot, which is called class. It's like class E. There's different ratings depending on what types of uh, services and whatnot are available. But so a real cargo space, but without anything else that looks cargo-y in there. So no rollers on the floor, no containers sliding in. So who Um, gets to load these planes? So sounds terrible. It's basically like the um, we've seen it already, like for the last 18 months, right? Then we joked and called them COVID combis uh, on the Twitters. And there's like over a hundred planes that airlines took out seats 
and basically put netting in and people would manually load boxes and stack them up and then they'd cover them with nets to lock them down and the plane would do its flight and whatever. And then someone would unlatch the nets at the other end and, you know, back and forth. Um, it is slower. The, the key there is that most of the stuff on the main deck is much lighter weight mm-hmm. than sort of heavier bulk cargo that would go in normal containers on the underbelly. And so, or just, I guess, the regular belly, not the underbelly. That's more sinister sounding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really interesting. One of the, a few people pointed out to me that Airborne Express, uh, which is now part of DHL, but when it originally started in the 1940s, was a airline that flew flowers from Hawaii to the mainland. And it did so in a very similar way. They sort of just brought that, they put them sort of like in the main cabin deck of passenger planes. <laughs> and so it's, I think it's an interesting approach. It's certainly the triple sevens are cheap right now. The conversion process is going to be relatively inexpensive. They're basically just going to take everything out of the main cabin area, right? Put some mount points. They've got, I guess you use the rails, uh, the seat rails and put, you know, tie down bolts on those and use those to secure netting or whatever. Um, But take all the galleys and stuff in lavatories out. Um, Maybe some smoke detectors and additional fire suppression systems. They've created their own uh, MRO maintenance facility to do the, certification and installation um with an in they sort of hinted that they might try to sell that option to other third parties after they get it done and working on their own um and if things go to plan they actually are planning on creating their own sort of container but it's a container that'll still just fit through the regular passenger boarding door in a triple seven so as part of this are they are they like not going to do charter passenger ops or is that still a thing the triple sevens that were originally supposed to do passenger operations uh, when they bought their first couple now almost certainly will not. Um, what remains to be seen is if the seven six sevens continue to do passenger operations. And I, there have been some rumors circulating that they're going to try to get out of that business. I would be surprised by that. Um, but you know, anything's possible. Yeah. Um, I, I guess. I guess. I guess. I'm just thinking like they probably they probably have a decent charter contract set up for things like military charters and stuff. Yeah, I say DOD does decent business with them. I'm, I'm not sure, like, the Guayaquil flights or yeah, Georgetown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, none of those are making great money right now. Like, they ran uh, Eastern ran a ton of evacuation and repatriation flights in early 2020. And I'm sure those were very uh, profitable. I think it participated. I don't think it did craft flights, but I think they did participate in some of the evacuation flights onward, right, Some as charter operators. So, like, it, there's definitely you know, money to be made in that segment. And I think they were doing pretty well in it. I'm not sure the scheduled service really was doing great. Yeah. And then you get the question of, well, okay, well then how many seven, six, sevens do you keep around in that configuration? Yep. Yeah. Um, and crew and everything else that goes with it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wild. It's wild that, I mean, a lot of these airlines doing cargo ops, I mean, Amazon prime's kind of exploded, right? Like prime air. Yeah. Um, and, and and just general operations that some of these carriers are, are doing like, I mean, yeah. United's even flying crazy routes for cargo. Yeah, and, and United was one of the ones that I don't think United took seats out. Um, Air Canada did at one point out of their 777-300s, though, right? And yeah. some of their Q400s with Jazz. Like, they, they did it all the way up and down the size of the fleet. It's There's been a lot of them going around in different sizes and shapes. Um, yeah. It's super interesting to me. But I, I actually, like, just putting stuff, you know, in the main cabin and sort of into netting is one thing. I really can't wait to see. They have said that they're going to try to have their own sort of custom containerized main deck operation. You want, you want to see what, they, what they're actually doing. I think it's going to be trolley carts. Like, <laughs> right? Well, imagine if you could actually load up trolley carts, and maybe you make them double-wide trolley carts because they just have yeah. to fit through the relatively wide 777 door. Yep. But you make like a double-wide trolley cart. You can load it up on the ground, put it on the scissor lift, roll it right into the plane, get it to wherever it needs to be, lock the wheels, clamp it down. Right? Like, I could actually see that as being 
not containerized efficient, but or like LD3, whatever, the big, you know, bulk containers that you normally see loaded, but like d- darn close at some level. Yeah, yeah. So th- those are supposed to come around. They said the first plane's going to be flying Q1. The containerish stuff is maybe Q2 of next year. So not that far away. Um, yeah. And then maybe somewhere down the line, if they really, really are getting good at this con- at this uh, cargo thing, they'll start cutting holes in the door and put in you know real cargo services, but or holes Wild. in the fuselage, whatever. But yeah, it's it, the the whole like making their own containers and sort of just pretending these planes are all cargo now is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a cargo airline now. We, why? Because we said so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the money is. Yeah, exactly. Um, Jet two, right? Which is a kind of a low cost carrier, right? So, uh, they consider themselves a holiday carrier. They sell uh, vacation packages. Even in the even UK, fancier. yeah, they're they're moving to all Airbus. Not all, but they are adding the A three twenty one Neo to their fleet. So two hundred thirty two seats on board. That's uh, a slight give back from the 240 seat maximum. So, you know, they're very generous that way. Uh, but it's going to be, I think they're doing like something like 36 and then 14 options or something, or 24 options, 26 and 24 options, something like that. It's, it's a lot of planes uh, coming. One of the, you know, and they previously were in all 737 and 757 operation. They had one or two leased A321s in last season or the season before. So they sort of know how they work in the operation. Uh, it's more capacity. It's a lot more seats, right? It's like 50 more seats than what they were getting on the old planes, 45 more, 186 to 232, whatever that math is. Um, and it's a lot of extra planes. So they have the opportunity to either retire the old planes and sort of maintain or flex up and keep growing depending on what the market looks like. Wow. So it's, you know, I, I would say probably not great news for Boeing. Right. This is you can argue either this is what the NMA middle market, whatever aircraft was supposed to replace or just that uh, the max didn't fit the bill. Um, but to see an airline say, you know, what, we, we, we could very easily transition to the max given our pilots and everything else, but we're not going to. And we want the yeah. bigger we want the bigger plane from Airbus. Uh, and then right, they don't need the range on it, but given the routes they fly, but they certainly want the capacity and the fuel efficiency. So that's interesting, surprising, fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people on a plane. That's for sure. A lot of people on a single aisle plane. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. on any plane. Honestly, like yeah. it's actually it's, you know when you think about it, like <laughs> United's most of the seven six sevens were fewer seats. Yeah, like, it's crazy. Most long haul are smaller than that. So yeah. Uh, speaking of high density, uh, Virgin Atlantic is going to have a high density A three fifty. Yeah, uh, this is not quite to the level of the um, Air France CIO market, Caribbean and Indian Ocean markets, which were like no business class, only premium economy, uh, heavy, heavy. And they were the, some of the first 10 across seven triple sevens that Air France had also. So those were super high density. This is not quite that crazy. It's, but it's a smaller business class cabin and a bigger focus on economy class and premium economy. And I think to me, the most interesting part is, you know, Virgin has, I don't want to say always, but pretty much always had some sort of social gathering area on board mm-hmm. and they're keeping that. Hmm. Um, but it's like, instead of, the normal, like it's not the bar area, and I gotta, get, I want to get the word right, and it's like the nook or something like that. Um, <laughs> that sounds, that sounds like them. The yeah. Nook. Um. Oh, why don't you have this on the website where I thought you were gonna have it? Darn it. Um. Yeah. It's. Sorry, I'm gonna see if I can find it while we're still talking here. It's really, um, a very, it's like a two person bench with a little table that slips down. So, uh, I almost want to be like, why bother? But I, I guess there's. They have to say they still have something on board. I, I just I don't understand like a weird two person sit together area. Yeah, sort yeah. of in the middle of the galley. That's it's an it's a weird setup. Um, and 
who's gonna I, I'm just trying to think about people doing oh let me let me let's sit together while people look at us. <laughs> yeah, well I mean and I mean I guess people can walk by and whatever, so there's something of that nature. But there's I, <clears throat> excuse me. I, to me it's just it really is more about the like why would you only have an area that can seat two people as your public like yeah. onboard experience? It just it seems too small to me. Um yeah. Yeah. and I don't know. I struggle with that. I'm sorry. My laptop is really not happy about trying to load the page that I know has this story on it. <laughs> um, stupid JavaScript. Uh, the booth. I was close. Oh, I mean, it's close. Yeah. The nook, nook the booth. booth. Yeah, it's close. It's close. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll put a link to uh, this, but 40, uh, it's going to have 16 upper class seats. Um, and it's the upper class suite. So like they are solo seats. Um, which is fine. Uh, 56 premium economy and 325 economy. So wow. doing quick math there, 60, 72, just under 400 seats on an A350, 1,000. Wow. I mean, it's, it's a, the booth, it's a cute little thing, um, but it's only on one side. Uh, there's a couple screens and you can sort of share audio and a flight attendant can come up and bring you snacks and drinks, but uh, it's a gimmick. Yeah. I don't know. Pre-book it for t- candlelit dining. Right. Oh, you got it for your romantic outing. Yeah, Heathrow to Orlando gets it first in uh, December. Oh, for all your Disney needs. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. That's why you got a higher capacity cabin for sure. <laughs> uh, well, while they're doing that, KLM is cutting routes. Uh, Las Vegas, Orlando, and Miami are cut for the winter, uh, mostly because the Netherlands is closing. Well, I mean, not entirely closing. They're not just like shutting oh, they're down. Closing and, us. Yeah, they're not shutting down and just letting the water be in. Um, just turn <laughs> off the windmills. Uh, let the pumps go dark. No, they. Uh, in we so, give we give up. <laughs> yeah, stupid ocean thing. Uh, the EU guidance changed last week, and the US is now considered a high risk uh, COVID environment. And what's interesting about that is the as written, it sort of says, you know, it's the EU rules on this are all. It's guidance, not mandate. But uh, it basically says the the suggestion was that European countries should stop allowing unvaccinated visitors, even if they're tested. It's the short short version mm-hmm. of that. And thus far, I I can't think. I'm trying to think of what the countries that have sort of changed anything. I don't think any have taken that approach. I think they're either saying we still don't let anyone in, or we're stopping letting anyone in, or we're staying open like we were. And the Netherlands has taken the sort of, we're just going to not let people in again without quarantine, um, which is sort of the asterisk of all of this. Like, you can go, it's just a 10-day quarantine, you can test out after day five. But for most people, that's, you know, not reasonable uh, in terms of how to do a quick vacation, certainly. Can we, and, can we just, talk, let, let, let's stop and talk about that for a second. Doesn't this seem like it's a little, a little too little too late at this point? Like, shouldn't this have been done immediately if they were really worried about U.S. travelers? So... I, what it really comes down to, yes, one would argue, but what it really comes down to is I'm the, the, the one comment I saw that was super funny about it to me was something like the U S is such high risk. We have to take, uh, we can't let them in. Also, they won't let us in. So we better not let them in. Like, is it because mm-hmm. it's high risk or is it reciprocity? Yeah. And I would be willing to bet it is much more a reciprocity thing than a risk thing. Um, and I'm not sure that the U S should still not let arrivals from Europe in. Um, given vaccination rates. I'd, I'd like to say allowing vaccinated travelers or vaccinated plus tested travelers uh, is certainly a very low risk yep. scenario. Um, yep. 
And at least thus far, the U.S. has managed to do that with minimal actual real paperwork and burden on the government. They just make the airlines figure it out. Yep. So and I'm sure the airlines would be, you know, ecstatic to try to figure out how to do that. But um, that's what they have to do to get the seats filled and get the planes flying again. So it's it's an interesting one to me. I use that word way too often. Um, but, you know, when you get tap air Portugal advertising that, hey, everybody just everybody look over here because Portugal is not going to lock you out. We'll be happy to take you. Come fly this way instead. Uh it, sort, it makes for a very interesting uh, situation. I think the was it the the KLM press release said something to the effect of, "While the Netherlands is doing this, most other countries in Europe aren't triple locking the doors." <laughs> and like cited France and Italy also as countries that aren't completely locking things down, um, even though the Netherlands is. So, I mean, at, at one point, I mean, I think I'm just thinking about okay, if you fly to Portugal, there's literally nothing to stop you from using a land border. Uh, to to go to the Netherlands or an airplane or an airplane domestically, right? Because they're not going to check. Well, Schengen, Schengen, like. Schengen domestically. <laughs> that's that's what I mean. I mean, when, no, when I think of, when I think of like European in, internal European travel, I think of it as domestic, right? Because it it is very much like you're lucky if they look at your passport. In the U.S., I I feel I think it of it the same way, and that is because again for the same reasons. Like if I, you know, I have to take my paperwork with me, but like they're not, no one's going to check it at a border. I don't have to worry about stamps and la- those lines. But also, yeah. yeah. We learned very. We learned real quickly last year that they can put those borders back in a heartbeat if they want to. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's, but that's what's fascinating to me is that it's oh well, the Netherlands is closed if you fly to the Netherlands from the United yeah. States, but if you come in through another country, yeah, nothing we can do about it. Well, they can in theory, and you know whether they do or not remains to be seen. And a lot of it is again, it's it's not that you can't come in; it's that you have to quarantine. And yeah. so I assume it will be like many places. Okay, go quarantine now, and they yeah. assume that you will. Um, it's not to the level of Australia with their ridiculously big brotherly. You have to have this app on with geolocation services enabled and we can we're, text we're you at any, you. we can call you at any time. And within 15 minutes, you have to text back a selfie showing yourself obviously in that location with other like landmarks around you to prove it. Yep. Um, or we know that you're like cheating. Uh, that is a lot. Um, isn't, isn't it weird how it's like two extremes and then there's us. Which one are <laughs> Well, I guess I mean I, I guess it's more. There's two extremes, and then there's Europe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, like the U.S. I don't know. Is in some ways is it one extreme, but otherwise isn't. Like as long as you can get here, it's fine. But there are still swaths of the world where we are not allowing non-citizens and non-residents to enter from without yeah. uh, to enter from. I mean, I remember watching people getting passports checked uh, on my JetBlue flight home from London the other day, where there was like a separate line and a guy on a cell phone like okay give me your stack of passports let's go make the phone calls and like you know people with uk passports sorting out are they a permanent resident do they have the right paperwork is this one allowed because it was so new they didn't know everything but he literally like group by group would call them in and like have someone verify a passport number that it was in the right list wow so um yeah the u.s is once you get here there's no rules and it's a mess in many places but yeah yeah um southwest double tier points what's going on yeah man double points you want you want a list or a list plus status, but not companion pass. Uh, at least from the what I can see in the fine print, um, everything through November thirtieth because you know demand is down. They had to cut a bunch of flights because they're they overran their schedule and pissed people off, um, mostly crew. Uh, but yeah, they're going to try to gather some more elites. I to me, it's just interesting to see what different airlines are doing to try to attract that last couple dollars of whatever spend might be happening this year. Yeah, I, the, I don't know if you call it the 
Columbus Day slash uh, Indigenous Peoples Day vac- holiday or whatever else, like when other people are going to take that vacation trip. Um, this one goes through Thanksgiving, it's through November 30th, so that would be included. Um, but anyway, it's, you know, it's that versus Delta, just give it to everybody another year versus United's weirdly targeted stuff versus Americans, like whatever the hell they're doing with credit card related spend to earn more bonus points. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see what I mean. We'll talk a little bit about Alaska and the bonus topics, but I'm interested to see what Alaska does because their bonus EQM bonus, their elite bonus, ends at the end of September. Yeah, um, and I don't, I don't know that they've they've got a ton of elites coming back. Yeah, so, so we'll, it's, we'll yeah. yeah, I just like watching how all those things play out. Like, and so the Southwest one is like, oh, you have to register to get this promotion, which is just obnoxious because like just give it yep. to people. Like, why? Like, I get penalized because I didn't read your emails. Okay, fine, but like. I don't know. Like it, it's why, why do you make it that hard to give people this thing and you know, that, that you want them to do anyways. And then also, but also they're not requiring you to buy new tickets, existing purchases count. Oh, wow. which, okay. first, which is, I mean, Southwest of any airline with the like no change fees thing uh, has always been no change fees. It would have been relatively easy to reissue a ticket assuming the fares are the same. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but now this is sort of with everybody. I wonder how much that rule is going to go away. Um, or if, it's going to make people go back and look and be like, oh, I should have checked this. The fares have all gone down. I want credits now. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Reminds me, I should go check some of mine. But <laughs> I don't know. They seem cheap enough at the time. I'm not that worried. Yeah, yeah. Except one. There's one stupid tick trip that I'm really annoyed about how expensive it was. So, Anything else you want to chat about? No, nah, I think that's pretty much it. I can't wait to explain why you're the colonel. Yeah, I'm the colonel, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about World Heritage Sites in the bonus episode, so if you want to hear that, you can join us on Patreon and get access to that. Uh, if you are a Patreon subscriber, just stay tuned. Uh, but to our listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, leave us a comment, tweet us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, at DotsLines, more dots, more lines.com. Uh, yeah, till next time, happy travels. Bye-bye. Take care. <laughs>